0: The second Bible reading tonight comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, and that can be found in some of the Pew Bibles on page 981. Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation, and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant, and never at rest. Because he is... As greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations, and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods, and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed men's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and fortifying your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. "'Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed "'and establishes a town by crime. "'Has not the Lord Almighty determined "'that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, "'that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? "'For the earth will be filled with the knowledge "'of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. "'Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbour, "'pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, "'so they can gaze on their naked bodies.' You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you. And disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed men's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it? or an image that teaches lies. For he who makes it, trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: well good evening friends we are uh, looking at Habakkuk chapter 2 and good on you if you read it during the week and have come prepared Uh, you can come prepared next week by reading what's up after Habakkuk chapter 2 Habakkuk chapter 3 okay so you can do that next week now this week with this passage um, I did speak to a few who did read it and they're pulling out their hair and I'm pulling out my hair but this is the word of God like every week word of God it is uh, Uh, in this passage perhaps not directly about us but it is for us and so let's pray to that in as well so let's let's pray that god might help us understand this heavenly father we thank you once again for your word you continue to speak to your people from generation to generation and we thank you that you speak us speak to us today through your word we pray heavenly father as we hear these words in Habakkuk, though it's uh, written a long time ago we know that it is useful and fruitful for us in our faith and in our growth. So we pray, Lord, that you would answer our prayers and help us to see that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in a group this size, it's quite a big group here, I suspect that for many of us that there will be at this time something in our life that we're dissatisfied with at the moment, something in our life that we're just frustrated with. And I suspect for many of us that is the case at the moment, and there are courses of actions aren 't there if if i 'm dissatisfied with my studies, then I can speak with my teacher, take it out with my teacher or school or university or course coordinator if i 'm frustrated with my work, then I can take it up with my boss if i 'm frustrated with the type of food i 'm getting with uh, at dinner, then I can take it up with my mother or my father if he 's the cooking type. Or if I'm the married type, then I can take it out with my wife. Or if I'm frustrated with my relationships at the moment, uh, why am I still single and, well, who do I take that up with? Well, if you're one where your mum still gives you uh, fashion advice, then perhaps you need to take up with her. You know, we've got people we can take things up with when we're frustrated and dissatisfied. Or if I'm dissatisfied with public policy, like safe schools, I can take it up with the uh, local state member. Or if I'm dissatisfied with the uh, federal policies, then I can take it up with the local federal member. But then what do I do as I go up with issues and problems and things that I'm dissatisfied with, things I'm frustrated with? If there are things about this world, who do I take that up with? When I see that there is gross injustice all around me, when evil and wicked people seem to be winning at life and the innocent are losing, when world leaders rule for power and for personal gain rather than the good of their people, or when large multinationals who get filthy rich, these directors, filthy rich on the backs of sweatshops and child labour in the third world, when we see corrupted judges and police officers who live off bribes, Or when we see people who were meant to help the poor, aid that is meant to go to the poor but only line up the wallets, the pockets of generals. Or terrorists terrorizing without any regard for the sanctity of human life. And then, of course, we see disabled and the poor and the vulnerable treated as second-class citizens. When you see these things happening in the world, who do you take that up with? We can't take it up with our school. We can't take it up with our parents, with our relationship. When we see justice perverted, when we see corruption ignored, when we see evil that is encouraged, when I'm dissatisfied and frustrated with what I see around the world, who do I take that up with? Well, I can take that up with God. You see, there's no high authority. I take that up with God. This is your world, God. We've been seeing Habakkuk, he's complaining, this is your world, God, what are you doing about it? And so that was what Habakkuk, this prophet, has been doing. Chapter 1, he was doing that. He was taking things up with God. How can you, God, the God of this universe, the God of this world, the God of your people, allow this place to become the mess that it is? And so what was frustrating Habakkuk was that the evil and wickedness that he he was seeing, God appeared to be turning a blind eye to it. And and you remember God's response from last week in chapter 1. God says, well, you want justice? Well, justice means judgment. A call for justice always is a call for judgment as well. And how was judgment to come? On the people of God who were wicked? Well, that was to come in the form of the Babylonians, that ruthless and evil empire that will be raised up by God to defeat and deport the very people of God. And remember how Habakkuk responded after that. He was even more frustrated, more angry with God. How is that justice, God? You're using these evil people to attack, to judge a nation less evil than they are. And so now we begin with chapter 2. Habakkuk now is waiting for God. He's waiting for God, waiting for God to respond to his complaint. He's waiting for God to vindicate himself. And so let's have a look at this passage. Do keep your Bibles open. Now, we're not told here how long Habakkuk was waiting for God to respond, but here God did respond. And in his response, it it was however long it was, Habakkuk got this response, and it's a response that Habakkuk wanted to hear, because here God revealed to him that ultimately and eventually evil and injustice and all that is wrong with the world will be dealt with. And that's why Habakkuk here is firstly told write these things down do you notice that in our passage write these things down this revelation that you'll hear now write it down because this is not just for you but for the generations after you justice will be done god will deal with all the mess and corruption that you see but that will be done at the right time in god's time so have a look with me verses 2 and 3 then the lord replied write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits a appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And so what's, ne- what's the content of that revelation? God says something will be done. Don't worry, Habakkuk, something will be done. Now what will be done? How is it that God will judge? Well, what God, what God does here is he makes plainly clear that the world fits in two categories the whole world fits into two categories the one side there are the proud who do evil on the other side there are the righteous who live by faith have a look at that this is a key verse for us today verse 4 see he is puffed up his desires are not upright but the righteous will live by his faith now notice that God doesn't group people the way we might like to group people at our is our Bible study this week and every week, we talk about evil and sin and how do we categorize people. And often we like to categorize people as, on one corner, there are the bad people, those who do evil. On the other corner, there are the good people, those who do good. But do you notice, that's not how God categorizes people. It's not those who do evil and those who do good. It is those who are proud who do evil and the righteous who not about doing good or not, but live by faith. That is how God groups people. Those who are proud, who do evil. Those who are righteous, who live by faith. Not about them doing good. But then when we read this, what's so bad about being proud? It's something our schools teach us. Be proud. It's something our society teach us. Be proud. Be proud of your achievements. Be proud of who you are. But you see, what God is saying to Habakkuk here, pride at his heart is not so innocent. But you see, the proud person always sets himself in competition to those around him. If I'm a proud person, I want to be better than you. If I'm a proud person, I want to have more than you. And, and that's what we go on to read in verses 5 and 6. You see, there's, there's this insatiable desire to have more and more if you're proud. You want more that the rich person never feels rich enough because there's always someone richer. The pretty person never feels pretty enough because there's always someone prettier. The powerful person never feels powerful enough because there's always someone more powerful. It's like death. The proud is never satisfied. And that was what the Babylonians were like in their conquest. They went through, swept through the Middle East and it was not enough. They wanted more and more. So have a look at verse 5 with me. we read here indeed wine betrays him he is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied he gathers to himself ordinations and takes captive of all peoples they're never satisfied these proud people always wanting more and more but you see the proud person not only sets himself in competition to others the proud person also sets himself in competition to God The proud person says, God, I don't need you. I don't depend on you. I depend entirely on myself, my efforts, my abilities, my achievements. You see, the heart of pride is to be number one, even above God. And it's no wonder why C.S. Lewis, many of you would know that author, he spoke of pride this way. He called it the utmost evil. And he goes on to say this. He says, unchaste anger greed drunkenness and all that are mere flea bites in comparison comparison to pride it was through pride that the devil became the devil pride leads to every other vice it is the complete anti-god state of mind that's why god groups people not in those who do bad those who do good but the proud they are the ones who do evil they set themselves up against god And the righteous, not about doing good, but they walk by faith. And so who then are the righteous? Well, we see here it's interesting how God categorizes people, not about those who do good. The righteous are not the good doers, the good people, but those who live by faith. It is those who don't trust in themselves, and so they're not proud but humble. They trust in God instead. They're not self-righteous but they trust in the God who is faithful. They are the righteous. And so God is saying to Habakkuk, even though this judgment is coming, the Babylonians will rise and will defeat you. Who is it who will survive all this? Well, it is those who trust in me, who depend on me, who clings on to me. And now God goes on, and we see here the pronouncement of God's judgment on the proud. It's a bit detailed now, so we'll go through these. There are five woes. It's like five statements of grief and sorrow on the proud. God is saying to the proud people, watch out, you people. Just watch out. You won't get away forever. Justice will ultimately prevail. God will ultimately win. So five woes we see here. So let's go through this. The first one, woe to the plunderers. And so, watch out, you plunderers. You won't get away forever. The Babylonians, when they became the superpower in the region, they became wealthy and powerful by plundering the nations around them. That's how they got rich and powerful. They took what was not theirs and made it their own. And so when they conquered the Assyrians before them, they made the king of Nineveh bow down to them. And eventually they also conquered the people of God. They plundered the temple of God in Jerusalem. If you know of that story, they went to the temple and they took all the treasures of the temple, the national treasures, and took it back to Babylon. You see, that's how the ancient world worked. That's how you got powerful and rich. You took what was uh, belonged to the other nations and you made it your own. I mean, it would be a bit like if today, Australia, we are here, a big nation, and we're next to a small nation like what's around us, New Zealand. You know, what do they have that we might like? They've got sheep. We've got a lot of sheep but they've got sheep. They've got good sheep and we want their sheep. We don't want to pay for it. We don't want to trade with them. What do we do if we want to plunder them? Well, we take it. We send our armed forces, small country, easy to defeat We'll go there, take all their sheep. That is what the ancient nations did. They plundered nations around them, took their treasures, took their wealth. Now, of course, this was not unique to the Babylonians. If you know much of history human history the barbarians they plundered Rome they sacked Rome in 410 AD the Vikings they plundered parts of England the Mongolians plundered parts of China and much of Eastern Europe and even today we think it doesn't happen anymore nations plundering or people plundering others does it still happen well what happened when ISIS went through northern Iraq remember that When ISIS swept through northern Iraq, they plundered the Christians. Convert to Islam or be killed. All your possessions now belong to us. Leave or be killed. And of course, many were killed and millions fled. But do you see what God is saying here? This is what we see around the world. It is meant to be heartbreaking. We still see it today. But God says, whoa. Watch out, you plunderers. You won't get away forever. Have a look verses 6 to 8. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you'll become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. You see, you've been plundered, you Babylonians. God is saying, you've done evil but you will too be plundered by others. They will eventually get a taste of their own medicine. They will be plundered. And that's when the Persians came to power. Shortly after their rise of power, they were plundered. Woe to them. But now second, we see another woe. Woe to corrupt leaders. Just watch out, you corrupt leaders. There are corrupt re- leaders back then, but also today. Just watch out you won't get away forever and you see here the pride of these leaders they think they can secure their power and wealth by building their cities up high their fortresses on mountains and you know what babylon did one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world anyone know what that was related to babylon yes that's right the hanging gardens of babylon a symbol of their wealth and prestige and power over the empire their glory on display, building big buildings, kept high and secure from ruin. That's an image of the, the, the uh, wonder, the hanging gardens of Babylon. Now, historically, that's actually what you see all over the place, don't you? You see many great castles and palaces built high on mountains. Adolf Hitler, remember that guy? He tried to show his power, his wealth, his prestige over what he was doing by building this, called the Eagle's Nest. Anyone heard of that? Up high at Obersalzburg, built on the summit about 2,000 metres above the town. It was a building used for t- uh, government meetings, but it was opulent. had stacks of stuff, the treasures stolen from other nations. In this place, there's this fireplace of red Italian marble presented by the Italian dictator Mussolini. It cost them about 150 million euros in today's money to build that on top of that summit. But that building couldn't keep Hitler safe, couldn't keep his reign secure, nor did what the Babylonians built. And so God is saying here, watch out, you corrupt leaders. We saw it back there in the time of Habakkuk. We still see it today. God is saying, whoa, watch out, you corrupt leaders. You will not get away forever. And so verses 9 to 11, that's what we read. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. And so eventually God is saying, Babylon, you'll be overthrown. You will lose one day. And today, corrupt leaders of today... They will face God. Third woe, this is to the violent tyrants. Just watch out, you tyrants, you who have ruled throughout human history. You will not get away forever. Building a kingdom on violence will not last. Do you know in the last century how many people were killed because of violence, because of dictators who want to set and establish their reign and rule? Under Stalin in the Soviet Union, 23 million people were killed. Under Mao in China, 45 million people were killed only in four years. God says tyrants like these will meet their day in judgment. And so we see this, verses 12 to 14. Have a look. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. God is saying, Your kingdom is different to my kingdom. Your kingdom will not last, but the glory of God will cover the world. In fact, this was something Napoleon. Remember that guy, the French emperor. He insightfully realised there is a difference between human kings, human rulers human kingdoms and the kingdom of Jesus he insightfully said this I found this very profound he said I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no me man between him and every person in the world there is no possible term of comparison Alexander Caesar Charlemagne and I have founded empires but on what did we rest our creations of our genius upon force Jesus founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. You see, it is the glory of God that will fill the earth. Not Babylon, not Stalin, not Mao, nor anyone else. Fourth woe, let's go on. Woe to the debauches! Just watch out, you people. You won't get away forever. You take advantage of the weak and vulnerable. You exploit people it's not just nations you see large multinationals corporations who profit on the backs of slave labor you who cut down forests without any regard for the world you who over harvest the world's resources without any care you people who get people drunk just to get them in bed you are debauched degraded and debased people and this is woe to them look at verses 15 to 17 Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood, and have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Do you see God's judgment there? They will face their end. And it's described here, the judgment of God, as this cup from God's right hand. The cup from God is a symbol of the wrath of God. And so to drink this cup means to experience the full wrath and anger and fury of God on these debauchers. Okay, that was number four. Number five, woe to the idolaters now watch out you idolaters you who worship things that are created not the creator you will not get away forever you'll be shown to be a fool by trusting your life in things that are dumb and lifeless and so that's what God goes on to say here now that's what God thinks of idols but not many of us think that way if you think about idols you see it all over the place when you go to Box Hill and you go to these grocery stores, often there's this little shrine, red shrine, with, with some statue and some fruits placed in front of this statue. God says, how foolish of you to worship a God who can't feed himself. You need to give him fruit. And it doesn't get eaten, it just rottens after a few days. But then you look at that and you look at other stuff around the world. The biggest statue in the world is one of Buddha in China, known as the Spring Temple Buddha and it is huge this was only recently built it stands at 153 meters tall that's 60 meters taller than a statue of liberty huge it cost about 55 million 55 million dollars to build made of 1100 copper pieces weighing over a thousand tons big impressive people come pilgrims come worshiping that impressive structure Meant to be dis- to display the power of this idol, but what does God think of that thing? It can't walk, it can't talk, it can't breathe—completely dumb and lifeless. And woe to you who place your trust in such a thing! And so, look at verses eighteen and nineteen. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it, or an image that teacheth lies? For he who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, there is no breath in it. And so, how are we meant to understand these things? What are we meant to do instead? Well, verse 20, God tells us our final verse, but the Lord is in his temple in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him and so Habakkuk came to God complaining to God where is justice God what are you doing what are you doing with this world why is it in such a mess God ends by saying Habakkuk sit down shut up wait and see there will be justice justice will come you are not God God is and in the meantime Don't get puffed up in pride, but sit down in humility, know your place, wait and see. Now, that is our passage, chapter 2. There's this dialogue. Habakkuk complains, God answers, he complains again. Now, God gives this extended answer. Now, having heard of uh, all of this, I wonder what we're thinking inside now. How, How do we respond? I wonder what what is it that we're really thinking. Well, that's right, God. That is good. I like chapter 2 of Habakkuk. God will bring justice. God will deal with all the wickedness and evilness and injustice that is out there in the world. Good on you, God. I like Habakkuk too. You've heard our complaint and I like it. I will wait and I will see. But I wonder, could you be one who might be thinking this as well? The evil is out there, God. Punish and judge them, those wicked people. ISIS and terrorists and rapists and murderers and debauchers, the scum of the earth. God, I like Habakkuk too. You're going to deal with all those people out there. I like it. But then what happens when we start pointing our fingers to all those around us? What are we actually doing? What are we actually saying about ourselves? I'm not the murderer. I'm not the terrorist, I'm not the debauchist, I'm not the plunderer, I'm not the idolaters, I'm actually okay. I'm actually not bad God. But then what has happened when I start thinking that way? When I start pointing the fingers finger to those out there, they deserve judgment, but not me. What have I done? I've actually placed myself amongst the proud. Do you notice that? When you start to think that way, i've placed myself amongst the proud the proud that this chapter speaks against and if i'm proud it means that i'm self-righteous as well god you must be happy with me i'm not not like those on the outside i'm not like babylon I, I, i've never done what they did nor will i ever do what they did but then what does god think about us if we attempted to think that way you may not have done those things you may never do those things but being proud will not save you the problem is not just out there being self-righteous will get you nowhere you see what we're meant to learn from this passage is that justice will come god promises that wait and see but what we also learn from this passage is that though there are two ways to live there's the proud the pride way And there's the way of faith, the way of righteousness. There are two ways to live, but there really is only one way to have life. And how will the righteous live? The righteous will live not by avoiding evil. The righteous will live not by trying to do good, doing stacks of good. But the righteous will live by faith in God, by trust in God, by dependence upon God. And so though there may be two ways to live, there really is only one way to have life. And that's not dependent on what we do or what we try to do. And so for Habakkuk, during his time, God was teaching them that justice will come. It will be done. The wicked and evil, they will be punished. Don't you worry about that. But God was also teaching them, even in those things, during those times, when you are confused with this world, when you're frustrated with all that you see, don't be overwhelmed by all the wickedness and evilness that you see. Don't be overwhelmed. I'm still in control. You can still trust in me. And if you can trust in me, despite all of that, in spite of all of that, that is righteous living. You are amongst the righteous. And so what makes people righteous? In the time of Habakkuk is really the same today for us how are we right how can we become righteous by trust and so when we reflect on our life and our world today when i'm confused and frustrated with all the evil and wickedness and injustice in the world what do i do well i live by faith that is how the righteous lives I trust that God will bring about his justice. And if anything, that should be far easier for us today on this side of the cross. Because what did God promise to do to the wicked and and the uh, unjust and the corrupt and the evil? What did God promise them? Do you remember in verse 16? They will drink the cup of God's anger and fury they will experience the wrath of god that's what the evil has in store for them they will drink from the cup of god's anger but then for us on this side of the cross what has happened if we know the story of the gospel what has happened who was it who took the cup for us on our behalf now many of you would know of that story you see god sent his son jesus christ and towards the end of his life on earth in the garden of gethsemane we've anguish and sorrow remember what he said to god he pleaded to god please take away this cup from me the cup of god's judgment he did not want to bear the sins of the world upon him he did not want to face god in his full anger and fury and experience the wrath of god for others but then what did jesus do in the end as he sweated sweats of blood Well, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus willingly, voluntarily, lovingly, sacrificially went to the cross to save those who trust in him. And that's why in our first reading, it was important we read Romans 1, how Paul understood Habakkuk. You see, he quoted from Habakkuk there. So if you, a quick Bible flipper, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul was able to point out that that weak, foolish message of a crucified Jew, He, he saw that, people knew about that, that was a message of weakness and foolishness, but he was able to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith we have to understand that you see that is so important the righteous will live by not by doing good things but the righteous will live by faith you see how that has to become such an important principle of who we are today as Christians I live by faith that's the only way I'll be righteous I live by faith that's the only way I can have life and so when we start we started off talking about The things in life that frustrate us, that confuses us, that that we're dissatisfied with, evil and wickedness we see, the setbacks we experience in life, the hardships we face. What does faith look like? What does righteous living look like? Well, I continue to cling to God for dear life. Now, Now, I'll end with this story that will help us see what faith living looks like. Many of you will, may may, have know, uh, may know of this famous um, guy by the name of Charles Blondin. He proclaimed himself to be the king of the high wire. He lived during the 19th century and was known to walk on tight ropes across all sorts of structures. Now one of the big ones was walking across the Niagara Falls you know, between USA and Canada on a tight rope. And one time... He was able to walk across pretty easily but to make things a bit trickier he did somersaults on it he did backflips and he was fine now he wanted to test the faith of those around him and so he spoke to his manager harry colcord he said are you willing to come along with me on my back as i walk across from this country to that country on the tightrope now what did this manager do well he had great faith he clung on board piggyback on the back of this bolden guy. He walked across the tightrope. Now just imagine that, walking across the tightrope. Of course the wind would be blowing, the rope would be swaying. What does faith look like at that moment? If you're on the back of this guy, perhaps you might just get off and hold on to the rope for dear life and just get your way back. Perhaps you'll just try to balance things as he, he tries to move. But what does faith look like? Well, faith at that point is to cling on to this guy for dear life. And that's what this guy did. Here's a picture of him on the back of Bolden. And he did that. You see, that is faith. In our life, how do we live a righteous life? We don't live a righteous life by doing good things. We live a righteous life by clinging on to God like our life depends on it, just like what this guy did on the back of Bolden. You know, we experience things in life that will set us back studies relationships and even experience suffering and evil what do we do well we cling to God like what that guy did you see as we think about this world God will deal with that justice will come but what will we do with your heart in here we must remember this the righteous live by faith it is the only way to have life let me pray Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness, you don't expect us to live the perfect life to become righteous, but that we just depend on you, have faith and trust in you, in your son Jesus who took that cup for us. And we thank you, Lord, that in your kindness, you declare us and see us as righteous because of Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that that will be the shape of every day of our life clinging on to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.